Good morning. Uh, let me ask uh, you a question. How do you want your life described? What do you want to be known for? Uh, Jesus tells us uh, in this wonderful description of, of what we can be known for, how our life can be described, uh, well done, good, and faithful servant. How wonderful to think that that can be the description of our Father over our life. Now, there are a few who falsely are immediately thinking, that's me, uh, because they measure themselves uh, the way the world does. Uh, they're using a measurement that, in the world's eyes, is successful, and so they, they think their life is, is wonderful, even if God is not impressed. There are many more who falsely think that could never be me because they also measure their life wrong when we measure it by our weaknesses and our failures. Uh, Paul is addressing both of those issues throughout the book and uh, in our passage we begin a new section of the, the book of 2 Corinthians uh, from the beginning of chapter 10 to the end of the book. Uh, Paul is moving back to addressing those who had been criticizing his ministry. There were some teachers who had come into the church of Corinth and they were seeking to raise up their standing among the people and their ministry by criticizing and, and pushing down Paul's ministry. And he is seeking to bring correction, and, and part of the correction he wants to bring is that we would recognize how to rightly measure our lives because the influence of these teachers was confusing the believers on what is important? How do we measure what is faithfulness? How do we measure what is success? How do we measure what is strength? And their influence was dragging it far from gospel parameters. How should we measure our lives? And Paul is going to help us with that. He is confronting those who measure themselves by Shallow comparisons. Verse 12, we'll see more of this next week. They commend themselves by measuring themselves against each other. It's easy to find someone that you feel is not as gifted as you, and so you, you measure yourself as, as being greater, and that's what they were doing. Paul will, in the next few chapters, sarcastically refer to these teachers as the super apostles. Uh, that title he places upon them gives us a little bit better understanding of how they are presenting themselves. They may not have used the phrase super apostles, but that's what was lying behind their descriptions of themselves. They were the wonderful ones coming into the church. 
In verse 2, we see they're accusing Paul of walking in the flesh. Meaning that Paul was not on the high spiritual plane that they were. They claim that Paul is, is bold and strong in his letters, but if he was here in person, he's weak, he's unskilled. In verse 10, they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his body presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Now, Paul admits to his weaknesses. It's one of the significant themes through this letter, Paul helps us to, to understand our own weaknesses by embracing his own, not being afraid to do so. He admits, in verse 3, to walking in the flesh, but he, re, he rejects the idea of being unfaithful. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. When the super apostles described Paul's walking in the flesh, they meant unspiritual. Paul says, yes, I walk in the flesh. He means I'm human. I am not God. I am not perfect. I have many weaknesses. I have failures and struggles. He is embracing the reality of his humanity. He is not embracing uh, that he has a lack of faithfulness. And so he is facing and confronting the fact that, that yes, my life has many weaknesses and struggles, but we'll see the implication. That doesn't mean that I'm not faithful. And so that's part of the encouragement for us. Yes, we have weaknesses, we struggle, but that doesn't mean we cannot be faithful. Paul adds that he wages war, meaning he, he conducts his ministry in power. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The theme of our study of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is power in weakness. And we have seen from the beginning of this letter that True strength is not in our giftedness or our might. Our, our true strength is in the realities of the gospel that abide in us. And Paul led us through many wonderful descriptions of what is true of every believer, of everyone who is in Christ. He is refuting those who are leading the church astray through pride that is masquerading as spirituality. And he is encouraging we who are weak to know that we can be powerfully faithful. And do you believe that about yourself? Do you honestly believe that your life can be powerfully faithful? If you're in Christ, you should believe that because that's God's heart for you. That can 
be true for every believer. We can be faithful. And so we're going to spend our time this morning looking at faithfulness in in one specific area where uh, Paul brings his focus. That faithfulness is in our upholding the word of God. Faithfulness. Powerful faithfulness is in our upholding the word of God. Look again at verses 4 and 5 where we'll give most of our attention. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. So we're going to identify three ways in which we uphold the Word of God. We'll spend most of our time on this first one, which is to uphold God's Word, we must tear down what opposes it. Now this obviously includes, includes any behavior, lifestyle words that are contrary to the ways, the knowledge of God, but the focus here is on our our thoughts. Paul wants us to consider the way that we are thinking. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our thoughts, the way we think, are not detached and harmless things. The way we think leads the way that we live. And some of our ways of thinking are raised up against the truths of God. We think in ways that are inconsistent with the truths of God, which means it it leads our behavior and responses in ways that aren't fully fitting, are not fully faithful to our Lord. Now our our culture tells us that we can think any way that we want. We shouldn't have some outside way of thinking pressed against us. But verse 5, Paul calls that just lofty opinions. The exaltation of our own thinking as if our ways of thinking could in any way be superior, better for us than the ways of God, the the knowledge of God. But our pride doesn't easily let go of how we think. We like our ideas best of all. No idea that we love better than our own. And so Paul describes our way of thinking as strongholds. What's the point he's making? That the way we think is is like a fortress with defensive walls, 
keeping out intruders. We're going to think the way we want. Our our thinking we're not going to let go of. And something that, that comes in and tries to change the way we think, we, we often get defensive against that. Our ways of thinking don't easily surrender to the rule of God. Some of these can be dramatically opposed to the ways of God. But as we, we come to Christ and we begin maturing, some of those obvious ways of thinking that are openly rebellious against the ways of God are changed, but there are more subtle ways of thinking that we don't easily recognize as still being inconsistent to the rule of God that stay with us. Ways of thinking that are easy to to settle into because uh, they're so common around us and we feel safe with them. We feel safe within the walls of these ways of thinking that to our mind are, are going to be good for our life. But still are inconsistent with the ways of God. Let's identify a few of these. My circumstances justify my attitudes and my actions. My circumstances, they justify how I'm acting. Which means circumstances are leading our life, not the rule of God. A rather basic reality, but how often do we just plow ahead with allowing our circumstances to shape our mindset, whether or not we have joy, whether or not our, our, our heart has rest, whether or not we're going to be fully faithful to what we know God wants and if circumstances are hard, we, we almost feel it's an excuse to pull back some. Compromise comes with difficulty because we're thinking somehow we deserve to act as we want instead of what we know is, is in God's Word. And so some of our thinking allows circumstances to rule rather than the person of our God. Uh, one related to that is how people treat me and my pressures make me behave the way that I do. How often has a phrase come out of our mouth? I didn't want to be mad. He just makes me angry. As if we we have no control whatsoever. It is their fault. They made me act this way. And our pressures do... Pressures squeeze life and and something comes out, but pressures can only squeeze out what's already in there. You squeeze an orange, only one thing's coming out, and it's not apple juice. When you squeeze an orange, the only thing that can come out is what is already in there. 
And so how people treat us and pressures squeeze our life and what comes out is, is actually what was already in there. And when we think people and how they treat us, that that makes us respond the way that we do. Again, people now are setting the lead of how we live rather than the rule of Christ. Uh, a third way of thinking, a third stronghold. The fulfillment of the list I have of what I want in life. Uh, that's what's going to make my heart full when my, my list is accomplished, that uh, I'm popular or attractive, that I have the relationships that I want, I have the finances, the career that I want. When all of those things fall in line, I have the health that I want. When, when all the, the boxes are checked off of what makes a good life, then my soul will be fulfilled. And so our, our pursuit of life is, is chasing after many things and the person of Christ is not it. When we treat him as though he's a supplement or he's the one that just helps us get the things we want. Oh yes, I want Christ in my life so he can Make my body healthier, my relationships better, increase my salary, and add the things that I want. And in his grace, our Lord brings many good things to us. But is our fulfillment getting the list of things that we want, or is our fulfillment him that we grow in our love for him. That filling our heart and mind with obedience and joining him, that that is the great fulfillment of life. We all have some unbiblical thinking that needs to be torn down. We all have walls that look just too important to tear them completely down. We, the things, well, I need that. It could be that you're a businessman and you know you're compromising, but all the people in your industry compromise, and I, I need to do that or I'm going to be at a disadvantage to everyone else. And so we, we stay with life that's less than fully faithful because I need to do that. Or uh, you know what Scripture says about not joining in relationships with those who do not love the Lord. But I need a relationship. I, I, I need to have someone who is caring for me, someone to love. And that need for a relationship causes you to, to be less than faithful in something that the Scripture is clear about. And there are many ways in which we leave some partial walls up in our life, ways of thinking that are leading how we live. Because we're afraid if we tear it all down, we'll be unprotected. 
which by itself shows that we're not fully convinced in the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And how, how can we ever embrace being fully faithful to him if we have any doubt of his faithfulness toward us? That's why our thinking of our Lord always starts with the cross. It, that should answer every question about God's faithfulness and goodness. How can the one who sent his son to die for us, who cared not for him at all, how can he not be faithful in all things? No one here is fully capable of identifying and destroying all of those strongholds and walls. We're, we're blind to some of them. We don't see them all. Some we know and we kind of ignore ways of thinking and living that we know are not faithful. Others, we, we're oblivious to them. Paul, unlike his critics, didn't use his wisdom. He said he, he used God's power, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, how Paul conducted his ministry was not according to the flesh, but divine power, the power of God to destroy strongholds. If we're depending on our wisdom to destroy all of our strongholds, we're going to end up just replacing one stronghold for another. We're going to get rid of one way of thinking for something else we now think is even better. We're just exchanging our own way of thinking on how to do things rather than submitting fully to what does God say. Paul speaks of, of weapons of warfare. And the weapon that God gave us is his word, the scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul elsewhere talks about it. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Uh, the, the weapon we have, the means by which we destroy, tear down ways of thinking and so ways of living that are unfaithful is to take the Word of God and address our life. We, we sift how we think and what we value by what we read in the Word of God. We measure life by what Scripture says, recognizing that our thoughts are not worth holding on to unless they're consistent with the Word of God. We apply Scripture to every area of our life. Because Scripture is given through the Spirit of God. It is the wisdom of God for us. It is unfailing. It is unimprovable. It is eternal. The Word of God is not powered by the collective wisdom and support of mankind. 
It's supported by God himself. He is the one who empowers his word. So Paul speaks of having a weapon, and the weapon is divinely empowered, empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is not empowered by the idea of God out there. It is by a person who stands in the midst of the Word of God, the person of the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit is using that weapon in our life, and we, we access it, we are strengthening it by praying in the Spirit. To use the weapon that we have, the Word of God, we need to read it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We've probably all heard of people we know who are not believers, but for some reason, they, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to read scripture. And they open it up, and to them, it just, it doesn't mean anything. It's a lot of words. They find no hope in it, no encouragement in it. They don't stay with it. It's just religious ideas that to them are utterly powerless and impractical. And yet we can read the word of God and, and find our, our soul soaring with these truths that are our truths, the truths of God that then are true for our lives because we are the children of God, the truths of the gospel, the good news of God to us. What is life, life for us? What is true for us? As we've been seeing throughout this letter. It, there is a a book that came out last year uh, we have in the bookstore by John Piper, Reading the Bible Supernaturally. So if you don't remember the title, I told Lorraine, she knows what book I recommended. So, uh, Reading the Bible Supernatural is uh, an encouraging and challenging book by Piper meant for believers in this practice that we've all gone through and maybe we've gotten stale in or maybe we're inconsistent in, maybe we're in a dry period. And he's making the point that if, if what we believe about God is true and he's given this word to us, that it is wondrously power and will greatly bless our life, that our life can be a blessing to others. It's not the shortest book in the bookstore. Read it slowly. If they run out, they'll get more. Eric will drive to Philly tomorrow and just get boxes for you. He'll have them at his house on the front porch. Anyone. First thing tomorrow, Eric's house, he'll have them for you. I'm sure of that. Just keep knocking. He'll come out. We need to read this weapon. We need to use this weapon by, by reading it prayerfully, thoughtfully. There's a certain value in simply being consistent. The discipline of life of reading 
the Bible every day, whether we feel like it or not. So uh, there is some benefit. I- I'm going to do it because the pattern of it, I need to, to keep at it. But reading, reading the Bible is not something we do to get done and feel, okay, God's happy. He's got to be happy with me today. I read it today, and, we, and I have done this so many times, reading to get done. I've got this, this is how much I'm reading each day, and I'm, I'm trying to get it done rather than engage in the thoughts of my Heavenly Father for me. So slowness and thoughtfulness. It's not how much we read. It's that our heart and our thinking is engaged with God speaking to us. And so we enter, each time we open the Word of God, He's speaking. Literally, He's speaking. And the Holy Spirit is there to impress upon the soft of heart. What is true? What will serve our souls? What will protect and serve our life? But it also helps that we engage in discussion about the truths of God with our fellow believers who also have the Spirit of God in them and who will have insights that we don't have. Insights about the Word of God and insights into ourselves because we can be blind to ourselves. And it's very easy to see the false strongholds in someone else. You're probably sitting next to someone you know thinking, yeah, yeah, that's one of their strongholds. For sure, they need to change that. You may be even kind of anticipating getting into the car and the drive home. Uh, You feel inspired with numbers of helpful suggestions for someone that you happen to know. And right now you're believing that they'll actually be thankful to receive it. (laughs) And perhaps by the grace of God they will. And by the grace of God we all should be. But perhaps the best place to start with that grace of God would be within our own hearts and minds. but we don't always see within ourselves. And, and so that, that engagement, and that's, that's why we have growth groups and community fellowships. We're, we're building relationship with, with fellow believers, learning to love and care for each other, building the respect and knowing we're caring for each other, and then walking through Scripture and life together. And sometimes what we're sharing, just out of our own life, another person in our group hears it and is deeply convicted. That's happened to me over the years. Some of you have addressed things in my life and you didn't even know you are doing it. You were just speaking of the truths of God. And the Holy Spirit took it and just pierced 
my soul. What a wonderful way to live. Surrounded by people and discussion about our wondrous God and the the truths of him and the truths of his son and the truths of our eternity, the truths of his grace and love for us now. And those are the truths we want to fill our heart and life with. Those are the truths we want to be faithful to. And so we are faithful to God by upholding the word of God and to uphold the word of God, first, we, we must tear down what opposes it. Secondly, and as I said, the other two points are much shorter. To hold up God's word, we must submit to him in every way. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought, we capture every thought to be brought into surrender to Christ. Every thought is to bow before him, which means every thought is to acknowledge there is a Lord of my life and it is not me. My Lord, my ruler and king is the person of Jesus Christ. I acknowledge his rule. I agree with his rule. And I exalt his rule. That's what it means to take every thought captive. For any thought that's not in obedience to Christ is against him. Because any thought that's not in full submission is by nature withholding somewhat from him. To withhold from him is to be against him. And another significant stronghold we have in our thinking is to hear that and the first impression we have, well, that's that's too extreme, too zealous. Everything has to submit to him unconditionally. Every thought must be held captive. Every thought must bow its knee. Every action, every word must bow before this Lord Jesus. And that may seem to us too extreme, too zealous. And... We, we can be out of balance with how we're thinking about biblical truths that we're not bringing all truths together. We're just latching onto one and we, we take that with the neglect of other truths so we can be out of balance or we can have our own ideas of what's zealous, but it is a theological impossibility to be too zealous for God. How can we be too zealous for the one who demands everything? You can't do more than everything. And that's what he's asking for. That's what he's demanding. Everything. 
And in that moment, when every knee bows, that's the moment that life and creation will be at rest and right. Until all bow to him, life cannot be right. We'll never see clearly our own life or the world. We'll never love God fully until every thought is captive. As long as there are ways of thinking that are holding out, then we're not seeing clearly that this way is going to be better than full submission to God. If we can justify that, we're, we're not seeing clearly and we're not loving him with all of our heart. Until we remove the clutter and clamor of selfishness and pride and worldly thinking, we're not going to love him fully. We're not going to see life clearly. And when we see Christ clearly, how can our heart not be captured by him? How can we want to cling to anything once we see Christ clearly? How can we not give ourselves fully to him? And so our, our thinking changes as our heart is captured by Christ. We see that, that holiness is not this narrow severity of life. Holiness is beauty. For God is holy. Jesus is holy. What is good is holy. Submission is something that is not oppressive. It is sweetness to our soul. That serving is a joy to us. And that faithfulness is our contentment. We uphold God's word by tearing down what opposes it. We hold up God's word by submitting to him in every way. And then thirdly, we, in order to hold up God's word, the church must be united to protect it. Verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul was planning to return to the Corinthian church and he was ready, if necessary, to punish those who were misleading the church. But this required the unified obedience of the church. So when your obedience is complete. By punishment, Paul's referring to, to church discipline. That the church together agrees that this this is disobedient and rebellion to the truths of God. And so the church must stand, must agree to recognize this is not of God. This teaching is not of God. This unrepentant heart and lifestyle is, is what the world is. And so we have to make a step to protect the church and say fellowship cannot be treated as though we're all Christians in harmony. 
It's an application of what Paul talked about at length in chapter 6. Light has no fellowship with darkness. The church must be united to protect the truths of God's word. But notice how Paul first appeals to them in verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect me of walking according to the flesh. So Paul is speaking about his coming and how he will need to address those who are accusing him and steering the church falsely. And he says, here is what my heart wants. Here is how I am first coming to you. It is with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Strongholds must be torn down. There's too much at stake. But our goal is always to build up. Our, our goal in tearing down strongholds is, is not to beat ourselves down in self-pity and think, God doesn't like me, I'm a failure, I can't do anything right. The the conviction of God is meant to root out what is sinful, so we step toward him. And, and so it's the same for others. We, we don't point out untruth so we can win arguments or we can be right or we can show ourselves as being more insightful than others. And church discipline, when people refuse to bow to the truth of God, and they hold obstinately to what is false. The, the point even of church discipline is, is never to beat people down. It's to awaken them, to build them up. Always the agenda is the gospel of Christ and people's lives. And if this, if this is true for us, then I, I close with this thought, then this is how God is with you. He is gentle in tearing down strongholds. God, God is serious. The strongholds need to be torn down. God is serious. Every thought should be held captive and surrender to Christ. But God's heart is to do this with gentleness and care. That we feel the expressions of his love in leading us this way. And so, as we come to the end of the service, let's, let's open our hearts fully to God. And so he has no other reason but to come with gentleness. Let us not harden ourselves again so that in order for God to show the grace 
of conviction. He has to work in harder ways. God is completely committed to you. He's not going to give up. He's going to pursue you as his child. And that means God will take firmer action if we reject and push him away. Why do that? When we know his way is good, in the end he gets his way, so let's give him his way now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come confessing, declaring you are perfect in all of your ways. You are the wise one. You are the good one. Your word, we, we cannot add to it. We cannot approve it. It is your grace of truth to us. And so we ask for your conviction to see whatever we haven't about walls and strongholds that we still have in our thinking. We ask for courage to submit every way of thought and thinking in life before Christ. We ask for grace to persist with it because some of the things we struggle with, we've, we've failed and we're believing the lie that we cannot be different. And so we also confess you who are the wise one or the all-powerful one. And you can enable us to be faithful people. May that be our heart's cry, to be faithful to you. And we, we pray this in the gladness of Jesus' name. Amen.